Hello and welcome to this Pensions Expert podcast, environmental, social and governance issues with climate change in particular have been dominating headlines around the globe. In the UK, 2021 was a year where special attention was given to this topic, which peaked with the COP26 conference in Glasgow in November. For pension schemes, environmental, social and governance risks have been a topic for discussion for several years, but with a new recent drive from legislation, regulators and members, trustees are taking further steps in their journey, with many opting to target net zero as a route for sustainability. Indeed, a recent survey by Aviva Investors revealed that half of pension schemes around the world have committed to making their portfolios net zero by 2050, uh, which is up 12% from the previous year. However, despite the increased prevalence of net zero commitments, schemes are increasingly aware of the stark challenges they will face in fulfilling these ambitions, which can range from lack of standards to issues with certain investment asset classes to asset managers' collaboration. I'm Maria Espadinha, editor of Pensions Expert, and joining me today to discuss this topic are Thomas Hones Parboth. Head of Sustainability Research at Lombard ODA Investment Management, and Marion Maloney, Head of Responsible Investment and Governance at the Environment Agency Pension Fund. Thank you both for joining us today. I'll start with you, Thomas. With so much information going around about net zero, how can pension schemes know where to start? Yeah, I think that's a very fair question. First of all, thank you for having me on the podcast and to Marion for for joining us. I think you're right, as you said in your introduction, this is clearly a hot topic, not only in 2021. I think we'll continue to see this heating up, if we can talk about it in the context of of climate change, uh, throughout 2022 and, and onwards as well. At the same time, I think it's also a very fair question to ask where to start with so much information out there, so many different regulators potentially moving still in different directions, different investors on both the owner side and the management side still trying to figure out how to tackle all of this. I think the easy answer is to take this back to first principles first and understand what the actual objective is that we're trying to achieve and what the responsibility is of trustees. Uh, One of these is clearly part of fiduciary duty to understand how climate change may affect risk and return across all asset classes, across all sectors and types of investments. Secondly, then, of course, many pension schemes will be setting their own objective to contribute to decarbonization, to do their fair bit, and ideally to do so in a way that actually accelerates the transition across the economy as a whole. Once we agree, I think, on those different objectives and the specific objectives that one pension scheme may pursue may differ slightly from that of another, that I think needs to be the starting point for understanding which investment strategies then indeed are well aligned to achieving those different objectives. And not all climate strategies that are out there will necessarily deliver on each of the climate objectives that one may have in mind. So it's very important to be careful and specific about what strategies line up to the different objectives an investor might have. Thanks for that, Tom. Um, I think that sets the scene. Speaking specifically about the Environment Agency Pension Fund, 
Marion, you've set the target to get to net zero by 2045, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. How is it achievable? And what's the role that the schemes asset managers are playing in, in getting to this target? Yeah. Uh, well, can I tell you that we're a very deep green fund? We've been looking at green investments for many years, about 10, 15 years. And it's going to be hard. We've set a target at 2045, and I'm going to tell you now, it's going to be hard for us to meet that. In simple terms, what we've got to do is got to match up our emissions with the right risk and return that we want. And so we looked at that for about nine months in terms of that number crunching. And in fact, it's going to take us 25 years to get there. So it's not an easy journey. But in fact, for us, it's a no-brainer. Climate change presents all sorts of risks and opportunities. And our fund has to be at the heart of that. And so if I can just add to what Thomas has just said there, in terms of for what I think is important for a fund is in terms of that governance, you know, alongside that fiduciary duty, have those trustees who really understand the issues, lots of training, factor it into your investment strategy, look at where that could, you know, take you in terms of your investment strategy, what targets you want to set as a fund, what that's going to mean in terms of your engagements and how you're going to use your power as a shareholder. So there's a lot there for funds to get to grips with. Now, you asked me about um, what is the role of the asset manager. Absolutely vital. I mean, for us to get there, we need all of our asset managers to be delivering what we're asking of them. So they're absolutely vital. Now, if you'd have gone back 10, 15 years, I mentioned about when we started this journey, you know, it was quite niche looking at this issue around climate change. Now, most of those asset managers are looking at this. And often our master is, how do you know if those asset managers are going to deliver? Are they really knowing what they're talking about here? And what I would say is, talk to those asset managers. Now, Thomas is here on the line, really embarrassing, because when we first met Thomas, we had about a three-hour meeting and we fired question after question after question at him. And, you know, you have to judge what they're saying to you. And not only did after three hours got through about half of what we want to get through, you know, we carry on the discussions another time. So what I would say to all the funds out there is, what we're looking for as a fund, we want asset managers that are sharing our principles, our commitments. We want them to deliver on the environmental stuff, but we also want to deliver a return. We can't forget at the end of the day, we are investors, we've got a fiduciary duty, we want that return along with the right emissions. Uh, we want those asset managers to deliver in the credible ways to measure the impact of the fund, to monitor progress. We don't just want to focus in as well on the green, you know, look at investing in shed loads of renewable energy, which all those are fund we do. You know, we've got to be looking at the kind of the whole economy here and actually looking at what kind of change we're making and what kind of change our asset managers are making too in terms of engaging with those companies and driving real change across the whole economy. Another example where I give you is that, you know, we have, we invest in sustainable forestry, sustainable agriculture. Some of our asset managers may get involved with supplying carbon credits, for example, to the market. You know, really test and explore those approaches you know, are those approaches incredible? Is it talking about permanent carbon removal? I think it's incumbent on asset owners to really delve deep and do our homework before we meet with the asset managers. The final thing, if I may say, is for us, it's not just about getting to net zero, about reducing emissions. There's a bigger picture here. We want those asset managers to be thinking as well about how they're managing the physical risks from climate change. Because even if we invested in every renewable energy site in this country, you know, it might still be subject to physical risks in the future if there's, uh, given the change in weather. We want them to be thinking about the impact on biodiversity and nature more broadly. And we want to be looking kind of longer term, the kind of the bigger issues around air pollution, land, water, et cetera. So all of those things are important. And I would say to pensioners out there, explore that, do your homework and, and just prod and poke and make those asset managers work. Okay, thank you, Marion. 
we spoke about asset managers, but there's also another aspect to this is the different type of investments that pension schemes hold. You know, the diversification has been a word for everyone of the last years, but that can be a challenge when it comes to get uh, net zero. Because if it's easier in equities, we can say it's not easy in real assets or fixed income. Thomas, how can schemes really get to the bottom of how to decarbonize the entire portfolio? Sure. Uh, another good good question. Let me build a little bit on what Marion uh, was saying. I think more than ever so before, it's clear that this needs to evolve into very close working partnership between asset owners and asset managers. This isn't the kind of case where you can simply give a mandate to an asset manager and walk away from that and check back in five years down the line. Uh, the timeframes involved uh, mean that we need to actually have a fairly dynamic relationship between asset owners and asset managers continuously realign uh, objectives to be sure that we're even going to be able to deliver on some of these near-term, interim-term, and long-term targets. Uh, then to get to your question, I think the first question to ask that is, what do we actually need to understand for each of these asset classes or investments? I think one thing you need to understand is uh, when you're investing in a, in a company or a software and bond is, first of all, what's the situation today? How carbon exposed are some of these companies? Secondly, what are they doing about that? Are their decarbonization plans indeed well aligned to that transition or not? Um, if they're not, is there an opportunity, a potential for engagement? Is there enough momentum and investor pressure behind that? And finally, uh, what are the financial implications of that trajectory that a company may or may not be on? Uh, just the fact that a company is moving very aggressively towards climate alignment doesn't necessarily make it investable unless it also has a clear business plan backing all of that up. Now, for all of these questions, indeed, uh, the answers will vary significantly from one asset class to another. I think where the analysis probably furthest advanced is in the space of, of corporate investments, where there are equities, uh, fixed income or convertibles. Uh, data availability is probably best there, especially for some of the, the larger listed companies. It gets more difficult in some private markets, smaller cap players where some of the data is not yet available. But it doesn't mean that we can't start making adjustments even there. There, the focus is simply different. The focus might shift from simple data analysis to more active conversa uh, conversations with some of the, the management teams of these smaller companies to understand their position, to help them along in that journey, and still try to leverage the same insights that we have carried over from, from a broader sectoral understanding of what's needed in these different industries. Uh, then, of course, there are some asset classes in alternatives uh, and others where perhaps today the data to really assess climate alignment may not yet be there. But their part of the strategy simply needs to be a commitment to develop those understandings uh, that are needed to be developed in partnership with policymakers, regulators, academia, and, and others. Uh, but to a large extent for the vast majority of our portfolios holdings today, I think credible roadmaps do today exist, even if there's still gaps in those and questions to be answered. We certainly have enough to get started now, recognizing that certainly adjustments will be needed to be made along the way. Thanks, Thomas. That is a good question, uh, Marion. You made these commitments, and as Thomas was saying, there are certain gaps that the market is still ad adjusting and adapting. How can members be sure that when a scheme makes such a commitment, it will fulfill it? Because 
it's not black and white at this time, is it? No, it's not. And, um, you know, I mentioned about making asset managers work. Well, I think members need to equally hold pension funds to account and not just pension funds. I say to my own members in the Environment Asia Pension Fund, you know, if you're holding ISIS, go and give them grief too, because you've got to be held accountable as, you know, as an asset owner for what you're investing in on behalf of these members. So in terms of what we do with our members, we, you know, we do lots of engagement, we do mem- member webinars, we do focus groups, we do questionnaires. We put out there on our website for everybody to see, not just our members, in terms of a really good application, it's called Tumalo, but it breaks down by sector, what we invest in, very, very user-friendly. And what we're trying to do is take members on a journey. We started this about two years ago where we said, listen, this is what we invest in, this is what we're trying to achieve. And actually what we found was there was huge interest there from our membership in this. Now, I'm not saying it's all sweetness and light because I mentioned about taking nine months to number crunch and come out with a net zero. And we came out with 2045. And we were quite proud. What we could see is when we looked at the science, we could see actually our investments were about five years ahead of this kind of 1.5 degree trajectory. Now, actually, the membership met that with a sort of, hang on, that's way too late. You know, the Environment Agency itself, the organisation, has a net zero target of 2030. They wanted it to be 2030. What I would say, Marie, is to any pension fund out there is don't just pluck the figure that your sponsoring body has got because we've got completely different financial and legal duties behind all of that. The journey I'm trying to take my members on is, look, saying, look, these are the thresholds on the way. This is what we're trying to achieve. I'm going to give you updates every year. I'm going to put it in your reports. I'm going to come back to you. Give me a hard time about this. But I I want them to understand that actually it's not just about, I'd absolutely want to get to 2030, but for me to get to 2030, I need to, well, we're not offsetting as a pension fund, so I can't bring that forward any earlier than 2045. And also I need the right investment products out there to get that right mix between risk, return and emissions. And, you know, and we invest in about, you know, between 1,500, 2,000 companies. And we need all of those to be on that trajectory for us to get to net zero. So it's not an easy message to give to members to say, listen, hang on, sorry, it's not going to be as ambitious as you want, but I think it's a really credible target. And I'm going to give you the evidence every year to show you that actually we're on that trajectory. I think the UK government came out with a stewardship code, which a lot of pension funds and asset managers are signing up to. I think it's a really good initiative because I tell you why, when I met with members about a year or so ago, and we had really detailed discussions and we talked to them about, listen, what we're trying to achieve is invest in really good stuff, but also engage with these companies to drive positive change. The feedback was, that's fine, but I want the evidence to show that you're actually making a change. And I think that's the heart of the Shushu Code. All this work around driving positive change, addressing climate change, looking at environmental social issues as an investor, we have to show that it's working. And I think I'll just go back to my first point, which is we're going to be held accountable if we're not doing that. So absolutely, come back to me. 2045 and see if we've got there and you know and hopefully we will and hopefully you know the more we get these investment products in the market really exciting period it might be that we can take that forward um and bring it to an earlier date than 2045 but i can't promise that at the moment to my members uh in 2045 we'll be having this discussion again maybe um my last question would be what would you say what would be your, your top tips for schemes and trustees who are starting to embark on a net zero journey Thomas, what do you think they should start with? Yeah, I agree with the point that Marion mentioned earlier, to simply ask the right questions and to begin to have those conversations. Uh, I think indeed, as Marion mentioned, when you have those conversations, it becomes pretty readily apparent which asset managers have a genuine interest and understanding 
of these issues, even if there's still questions left to be resolved, at least who's dedicating the resources to build a culture of understanding throughout the firm. A second point I would say is to understand that there's no contradiction between climate alignment and fiduciary duty. This is potentially one of the most significant economic and industrial transformations that we're going to be going through. It took us about 50 years to double our emissions from where they were 50 years ago to where they are today. We're going to cut that back in half over the next 10 years. That is a transformation at a phenomenal pace and at a phenomenal scale, which is going to affect every single one of your investments. This isn't just a question of investing in wind turbines or canning out of oil and gas. This is going to affect every type of sector and industry that we're going to be involved in. Aligning yourself to the climate transition is the same as taking fiduciary duty to highlight and understand the exposure to some of these risks that we faced. We don't believe that you have to sacrifice risk and return for climate alignment. In fact, by climate aligning yourself, you're safeguarding your return for the future. And perhaps the final tip that I would give is to not shy away from what might seem to be high carbon or problematic sectors. I think there's an easy temptation to simply shift allocations to education, healthcare, professional services, sectors that seem to be insulated from the transition. Uh, By doing that, yes, we might avoid a little bit of the problem, but it's also clear that it's especially in some of the higher emitting sectors, like steel, cement, chemicals, where much of this transition will play out where it will need to be financed, and where if we can find successful leaders in these spaces with credible decarbonization strategies, with credible business plans for a net zero world, it's actually precisely in those sectors where we might see new investable opportunities emerge as well. So I would sum it up as saying we need to take a very comprehensive view of what this transition is going to look like, how it's going to affect investments over different time horizons, and how we can start to make sensible adjustments to prepare for that. Uh, I'm sure Marion has a few tips to add based on her her experience as well. Thank you, Thomas. In fact, I agree with all of that. And just two points I would mention in relation to that. One is in terms of that return. I just want to underline you are not sacrificing return. And you know, our fund, it's an open, defined benefit scheme, relatively rare now in the UK. It's 111% funded. You know, we've got returns over five years, 9.5% outperforming the benchmark. Over 10 years, it's reflect 10%. But the point is that it's done really well for us, this investment, when we look and take into account environmental social risks. And then the final thing I would say is fiduciary duty. No pension fund out there is going to ignore fiduciary duty. And that nine months that scarred in my memory when we were doing net zero, three months of that was looking at fiduciary duty. And we looked at it with a fine tooth comb. And absolutely, I agree with Thomas. You know, this is a massive risk for us. But it's also a massive opportunity. So it's absolutely part of our fiduciary duty to be looking at it. Thank you very much, Marianne. Thank you, Thomas. I think that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for sharing your opinions and your tips. And thank you for listening and join us soon. 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.